Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Good news. The Biden regime says the COVID emergency ends on May 11th of this very year, a little over three months from now. I guess we shouldn't get too excited, though. Biden has said before that COVID is over, only to have one of his helpers at the White House come out and say, not so fast. We'll see if this one sticks. Lots of talk about war. Word is Russia is making advances now in eastern Ukraine, but at a high cost, according to Ukrainian intelligence. The Ukrainian military says they're killing so many of the invaders that the bodies of Russian soldiers cover the battlefield. Well, despite those heavy casualties, the Russians are still retaking lost ground in the eastern Ukraine. President Biden shipping more weapons to Ukraine, but those M1A2 tanks that he promised Zelensky aren't being sent. Turns out Biden promised those tanks before the Pentagon did an inventory. It turns out we don't have enough tanks to ship over there. And about those jet fighters that Volodymyr Zelensky wants, no dice. Biden says he can't send them F-16s, might cross Putin's red lines. And that wouldn't be terribly smart of Mr. Biden or his State Department or his Pentagon. Because one of the Biden's generals is now telling everyone that he thinks will be at war with China in two years. He says he doesn't want to be right. He hopes he'll be wrong. But there's a news break nonetheless. What that general didn't do was say who he thought would win that war that he thinks will start in 2025. The answer isn't clear, which should concern all of us. You would think that with a war raging in Europe, the head of NATO would have better things to do than travel all the way to Asia to make a proclamation about China's preparations to carry out a blitz attack on Taiwan. NATO Secretary General Jean Soltenberg did just that, saying that Xi Jinping is learning from Putin's war against Ukraine, suggesting China may soon attack Taiwan, but with full force. My point is this, how many advanced missiles, $40 million tanks that are the best in the world, how many of our troops do we want to ship to Ukraine when NATO and the European Union should be defending Ukraine? Why does Biden insist on acting like the Marshall Plan is still in effect, that the United States isn't being crushed by the Marxist Dems who've driven our national debt to backbreaking levels? and the prospects worsen steadily that we'll be in that war in Asia soon. The Euros are perfectly capable of defending themselves, and the Biden regime is sending money, advanced weaponry, and munitions to Ukraine. Not only that, but Biden has withdrawn 200 million barrels of oil from our strategic petroleum reserves, which are now at the lowest levels in almost four decades. Hardly the strategic approach to prepare for an increasingly likely war that none of us wants. Maybe that's the reason a recent Gallup poll shows that the dysfunctional Biden government is the number one problem in America, followed by inflation, immigration, and the economy in general. Not a pretty picture, is it? 
Well, not such a pretty picture in Memphis, Tennessee, either. Those five policemen who beat a man to death, the video is sickening, and then we learn those five cops weren't even held in custody. They were out on bail while facing murder charges in the death of Tyree Nichols. Five black cops killing a black man. What sense does any of that make? What was going on in that moment? There has to be a lot more than we know. And now reports that two more Memphis cops and two sheriff's deputies have been relieved of duty and three fire department EMTs have been fired. A total of 12 people now involved at this point in what is a murder investigation. And not a word about why the head of the police department and several supervisors aren't being questioned and investigated as well. Memphis obviously has a cesspool for a police department, and no one should kid themselves. This is about sadistic cops and leaders who permit the abuse of their citizens. Everything else the national media is spewing is an effort to enlarge Memphis to a national problem and make the Memphis incident smaller. But that incident is only getting bigger. Memphis is a city of about 700,000 folks. A million and a half people live in the metro area. Memphis residents are 60% black, and the city has one of the highest poverty levels in the country, second highest, in fact, overall, and in child poverty. Memphis also has the highest crime rate in the nation. And yes, the city is a Democrat stronghold. A Democrat has run the city for ages, and in this crisis, we hope the Memphis police unions will stand up for what's right and not try to cover up for those in uniform who tore up a young man's life. They'll be under immense social and political pressure to do just that. Let's hope that Memphis can come together to assert that standing up for law and order isn't racist, that calling for peace and reason isn't hate speech. They're necessary conditions to have a peaceful and prosperous community. Our guest today is Heather McDonald, brilliant social critic, attorney, best-selling author, Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And welcome back, Heather, to The Great America Show. How have you been? I've been great, Lou, except I haven't been talking to you for a while, so there's been a slight lack in my life, but now I feel <laughs> full and, and, uh, and satisfied. So thank you for having me on. Well, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much. Uh, and I want to talk about, uh, you know, a, a great comment that you, of many, <laughs> constant uh, flow of great comments that you make and remarks uh, just in in discussion. And when you talked about it is not hate speech to defend the republic, uh, to defend America, I, I thought that was such a wonderful statement and a wonderful motto. Uh, it, is, it is the case that if you defend American values today, uh, you're something of a uh, well, I don't know, I, I, a hateful person, uh, a despicable person, uh, certainly a deplorable. Uh, is, do you think that's changing or not? Uh, it's not changing because not enough people, uh, especially in the professions, are willing to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the very uh, tradition and profession that they have worked their lives for. Uh, it's still a few iconoclasts that are willing to say that uh, the, the police are not racist. It is not hate speech to say that Americans have the absolute right to enforce border laws, that uh, parents are right to have 
oversight, the final, the first and the final say over their children, that it's not hate speech to say that you cannot change somebody's sex by castrating that person. Uh, far too many people are simply terrified to speak the truth. And the left is in the business of turning us into some kind of terrified, cowering, totalitarian state by using several forms of emotional blackmail. Uh, and, th and this is the series of steps they take, Lou, in order to shut down speech. First of all, we, too many of us went along with the idea that college students are somehow unsafe. And, you know that they're like they're 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 in jeopardy of their lives being on a college campus, which is the most preposterous idea. There is no safer place in the country in the world than an American college campus. These students are coddled, they are privileged simply by virtue of the fact that they have at their fingertips the thing that Faust sold his soul for, which is knowledge. Uh, but but too many adults on campus went along with this idea that if a student is upset by something, he is unsafe. And then they also went along with the idea that speech with which you disagree, if you are the dominant progressive class, may be characterized as hate speech. And then here's the final step. If it's hate speech, and again, what is being characterized as hate speech is something like, well, yes, America was racist in the past, but it is not racist today. That is not our endemic tra trait. Yes, we, were ter we have a terrible racial history, but we have made amends for that history. To say that second part is now hate speech, and if you say that second part, which is that the reality today is not white privilege, it is black privilege. You are both engaged in hate speech, and as hate speech, you are engaged in assault. It is no longer speech, it is behavior and may be banned. So and the thought, left... I, I was ahead. just going to say, thought crimes now are crimes. Uh, it is, we don't, we're moving in that direction, aren't we? We are. Uh, people are getting, they're finding their PayPal accounts shut down, their, their crowdsourcing accounts are shut down, they're, they're kicked off of, of media sites, but, but they are being followed. You know, there's, there's going to be more and more, I'm sure, uh, types of punishments of not being able to spend your own money, not being able to go where you want to go. And all because of this emotional blackmail saying, well, if you don't, if you don't agree with me, you're hurting me. Uh, and, you know, if you're not using my, the, the, the gender pronouns, which I, in an act of sheer aggressive uh, power hunger, are trying to, am trying to impose on the world, uh, you're going to put me at risk of suicide. You know, it's it's absolute emotional blackmail, and nobody should go along with it. It's emotional blackmail, and on uh, a, a lower level, it, it's it's pure nonsense. Uh, they there is no intri intrinsic logic to any of this, uh, and 
And to think that corporate America has uh, consumed this uh, and is now spitting it out. And by that, I'm talking about all of this left-wing Marxist uh, blather uh, in the form of ESG and CRT and uh, a whole new left-wing initiative that is brought to you by your friendly globalist corporation. Uh, and and that, of course, influences everything that's happening in Washington, D.C., because they are the preeminent donor class, aren't they? Yes, and I don't see why there's a single parent out there in America that knows what's going on, <clears throat> which is using any Disney product whatsoever. Believe me, parents, Disney is is expendable. There is a wealth of children's literature coming out of Britain and America in the early part of the 20th century that is glorious, beautiful. I am so grateful that my parents read me Wind in the Willows, Charlotte's Web, uh, Winnie the Pooh in their original forms with their glorious illustrations by Ernest Shepard, not the bastardized Disney versions, uh, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland, E. Nesbitt books, Wizard of Oz, there's 13 Oz books that are all more wonderful than the next. You can do much better by your children by reading to them the classics and filling their ears with language than parking them in front of the Disney Channel or showing them a Disney cartoon with its increasingly terrible soundtrack. I'm sorry, I'm going to I'm going to alienate a lot of viewers here, but Frozen is not a great uh set of songs. Uh but Disney is is in the vanguard of the left and many other corporations are as well. It is harder to decouple from Amazon and I I confess that I have not done so. I don't order much, but there's times when I do. Uh, but it's not actually all that surprising, Lou, because every year colleges are belching forth another group of, of uh, brainwashed graduates who go to corporations to work, and the CEOs are terrified of them. The CEOs are also terrified by their dopey left-wing wives, and they're terrified by the New York Times, and they just see it as a lot easier to kowtow to the loud voices within them and outside of them and gain their virtue points than it is to say, we're going to steer clear of all things political uh, and and hew to the tradition of vibrant market exchange without feeling like we have to bludgeon uh, the public with our virtue signaling. The virtue signaling, it must leave some exhausted in our society because there is so much of it going on in the media, uh, each one more sanctimonious than the other, each one more uh, trying to project more righteousness than, uh, than any saint that is familiar to uh, anyone. This is a remarkable period in our history. It is, and I laugh at it because, as I say here too often, uh, when when you finally cross the penumbra into the absurd, all you can do is laugh. And we are now uh, in that we have gone well beyond the penumbra. This is a time of just extraordinary madness in this country. 
uh, it is, uh, and it is uh, a, a whole group of people uh, preying uh, on another in this society. And then it's other groups preying on other groups. It is chaos uh, in a sociological, uh, in our society. It's, it's just unbelievable. Well, Lou, I, I envy you your 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 good spirits and your sanguine your sanguine personality. Um, and I don't want to be a downer here in a black cloud, but I have to say, part of the way we got to this point is that too many people were laughing. We went through that whole period when we first had trigger warnings and microaggressions, and 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 uh, undergraduates were saying. They couldn't be asked to read Ovid, The Great Metamorphoses, one of the marvelous uh, early Latin works that, that provided thousands of years of inspiration to subsequent painters and poets and sculptures, sculptors uh, that is just a phantasmagorical understanding of the constant flux and transformation in, in reality. But students saying, oh, we can't read Ovid because it, it portrays uh, abductions of Jove and, and Jupiter, you know, abducting uh, lovely nymphs for his uh, sexual pleasure. And if we read this, we will be struck dead ourselves. And, and, and people laughed and said, oh, these silly snowflakes. Uh, just let them get to the corporate world and they'll wise up quickly because they'll be in hard America rather than soft America. And people complaining about the cafeteria food, you know, they're being served tacos and this is cultural appropriation because it wasn't served properly or, or soggy Chinese food and that this was also upsetting to them because it wasn't cooked properly. We were all laughing at that. No, I'm sorry. It's not. It was not funny then and it's not funny now. These people are deadly serious. There's nothing that, uh, you know, they've said they were going to do that they have not done. And so it's, it's time to start not brushing it off and and looking away, but realizing that as long as we fail to defend our traditions against what is, I think, the most powerful charge today, which is that of endemic racism, uh, the left wins. It is all coming down. Mm -hmm. It's not just a question of tearing down statues, uh, including of the founders, including of Frederick Douglass, it's a question of tearing down the very possibility of raising your children to have a love of life, of being able to read literature and experience the sublimity of expression and wit and irony that the greatest authors can give us, of seeing beauty in art. All of that is coming down and being replaced by anger and hatred of the uh, uh, that is the only thing that the mob has to offer which is tearing things down and not building it up and mob thugocracy uh, is very much a part of our daily existence now when we watch uh, Hakeem Jeffries uh, talk about how unified the democrat party is as uh, speaker uh, McCarthy uh, steps up to take the gavel. 
uh, he, he's talking about conformity, not uh, unity. He's talking about uh, an absence of dissent uh, tolerated. Uh, uh, there's just no toleration for dissent in the Democrat Party. They are moving in lockstep on every issue in every form. Uh, their hates are all the same. Their loves and passions are all the same. Uh, and most are, in many cases, perverted. Uh, this is a terrible time uh, for uh, uh, for dissent and for argument and for uh, disagreement, uh, as we see right now in the Republican Party. I believe the Republican Party actually is, uh, ignition has been achieved. There is now a semblance of uh, a, a real robust argument and disagreement out in front in public, whether it be the battle over the speakership, whether it be the the bargaining over what would make him speaker. Uh, this is a this is a Congress that, for the first time, I actually have hope that the Republicans may be something other than country club Republicans uh, ordered here and there uh, at uh, in quick snap uh, by the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable. Things are getting better in so many ways in this Congress. So I have, in that at least some hope that was absent uh, just a short time ago. Your thoughts? Well, as far as uniformity, we remember the statement uh, by somebody in Congress several years ago, which is if you're uh, you know, not taking Democratic positions, you're not black or you're not female or you're Correct. not gay. There was absolutely a sense that any non-conforming black who does not think that the main problem facing blacks today is white racism uh, he's just not counted uh and 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 so there's just pariahs thomas Sowell, shelby Steele, uh glenn lowry jason Marley. they're, they're turned into pariahs and i i would agree you said earlier there's no logic to what the left is doing I know what you mean. You're using logic in its real meaning to say that if we were to approach this uh, with expectations of rationality, they are so against the evidence and and so anti-empirical that's in one sense a true statement. On the other, there is a consistency in what the left is doing, and it is all about uh, – sending out the single message that everything in our world today is the product of racism and white supremacy and that any self-professed victim group should not be acknowledged to have any agency or any responsibility for uh, a member of that group, any responsibility for his or her life outcomes that there's nothing that that culture or that individual can do. I think those are lies. I think right now the biggest problems we have with both racial disparities and socioeconomic disparities are almost exclusively the product of culture and a failure of personal responsibility. But the left is insisting with a consistent logic that uh, racism defines America, and they are trying to tear every meritocratic institution down. I've been writing a lot about STEM and medicine 
uh, and the medical schools and the medical professional organizations, the AMA, the American Association of Medical Colleges, all medical schools, they're all exercising vast racial preferences. They're admitting black and Hispanic students with standardized test scores and GPAs that would be automatic, automatically disqualifying if presented by white and Asian students. And then those racial preference beneficiaries get passed along throughout their medical careers where we're destroying grading systems in order to cover up the persistent academic skills gap. We've the one of the in, important medical licensing exams has discarded grades and gone to a very crude pass-fail system because grades had a disparate impact on blacks. So, uh, you know, we are really, really playing with fire here by by the left's pursuing to its logical end the idea that only racism explains uh, socioeconomic and racial disparities today. Absolutely. And uh, if I wasn't clear, what I was talking about is the intrinsic logic of the policies uh, and the precepts of the, of the the left in this country, the Marxist Dems, uh, which I I think is wanting to say the least. Uh, you know, you you raise another uh, is always important point, and that is we are confronted with an edu higher education system right now, that is uh, it, it is at once uh, stolid, uh, atrophying. Uh, and indolent, uh, <laughs> staffed with indolent uh, professors and so-called scholars. And the admissions departments are, are confronted with a very simple issue. They cannot, uh, according to the admissions people I have spoken with, th there's a reason for these uh, changes in uh, admission programs uh, and, uh, and uh, at least the screening, and that is that and I'm going to say this out loud and people are going to be outraged, but um, the the highest testing groups, demographic groups, are Asian uh, and Jewish students. Uh, and I've actually heard admissions officers say out loud to me that, in point of fact, their school would be made up of Asians and uh, Jewish students if they didn't have some way to uh, if you would uh, leaven uh, the the body, uh, the association uh, uh, of all those students, uh, it, it would be impossible because they would be the highest uh, highest uh, achieving in terms of schools, uh, a standard tests, uh, as well as essays. What do you think? Uh, that's absolutely true. It's undeniably true. Again, Lou, here's how the left works today. If any institution is not 13% black, which is the percentage of the black blacks in the U.S. population, that institution is per se racist and is discriminating against blacks. That includes if Google doesn't have 13% black computer engineers and electrical engineers and artificial intelligence researchers, then Google must be discriminating against all these competitively qualified black computer scientists, engineers, and AI researchers, that expectation is completely ungrounded in the facts. 
the sad fact is, and, and you hesitate to say this, Lou, but we have got to be, start getting honest about this. There is such a large academic skills gap that you cannot have diversity and meritocracy at the same time. You choose one or the other. If you want diversity, you have to discard meritocracy. If you want meritocracy, you cannot have an expectation of racial proportionality. Here's the facts. About 54% of all black 12th graders do not even have partial mastery of the most basic 12th grade math skills. They are below basic on the so-called NAEP test. And basic means mere partial mastery. So they're below partial mastery, 54%. How, given that, and, and the number that are actually, the percentages that are actually advanced and proficient are like 1%. Every mm -hmm. year there's about the number of PhDs black PhDs in, in many, many STEM fields like engineering or, or neurology are at best 1%, at best, and that's not even taking into account what sort of degree did they receive. So when you have that, when you have way over a standard deviation of, of, of test score gap, it is simply impossible to have 13% black engineers at Google, and yet Google itself will declare itself racist rather than be honest with the American public about these skills gaps. And yes, the only way that colleges, undergraduate colleges, engineer anything like racial proportionality is by having completely different admission standards. Uh, as I said, for medical schools, Black and Hispanic students are admitted with an academic profile that would be automatically disqualifying if presented by whites and Asians. There's no overlap. That's true for most graduate programs, and it is true uh, to a certain extent. There's some overlap at undergraduates, but this is not a this is not a beneficial policy to its alleged beneficiaries because. If you admit students who are not competitively qualified academically, they're going to struggle. This would apply to sex as well. If MIT were to admit me because it decides it needs more females, and let's say on an 800-point scale for math SATs, I scored 650 on my math SATs out of 800, and I'm admitted to MIT with students who would have been admitted not because of their sex, but because of their academic qualifications. And most of my peers have perfect math scores. They're, they're up to 800 on their math SATs. I am going to struggle mightily. I'm not going to be able to keep up in my classes because it, the teaching is pitched to the average, which is not me. The same applies to blacks and Hispanics, and, and that is part of the reason in addition to the diversity bureaucracy, why black students go around saying, oh, we're the victims of racism, we feel like we're in a hostile environment, a large part of that sense comes from the fact that they have been unfairly and cruelly catapulted by these damn admissions officers 
into academic settings for which they're not qualified. They would be qualified to go to a school with they share their their academic qualifications with their students, just as if I had a 650 on my math SAT. There'd be lots of schools I'd be qualified for. I'm just not qualified for MIT. Right, that's a and that's a huge issue uh, for the Ivy League, for example. Uh, and they have made decisions that uh, are theirs, and at some point we're going to see that resolve. But it, when we were talking about the the ethnicity, the race of the, the students and, and how they correlate to test scores and then how they would correlate to admissions uh, to the very top uh, universities in the country, those same universities are bringing in uh, Chinese students from in, in gobs. Uh, they have, in fact, created institutions, Confucius uh, institutes, uh, to accommodate uh, their 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 homeland uh, and their reach back uh, to that homeland. Uh, but that means that there are American Asian students who are being crowded out by that globalist uh, view, which is denying opportunity uh, to. American students. It's that straightforward. And when you talk about proportionality versus merit, uh, the idea of proportionality is something that has to work out in a free society. Not all have the same opportunity, but we are obliged to give free opportunity uh, as best we can uh, to American students to do what they can with the talents they possess uh, and their circumstance. And devil take the hindmost, you know, they're they're going to win in this society at some point, but they're going to win up to their level uh, of competence and skill uh, and adroitness uh, in our society. Don't you think? I would be completely objective in my college admissions. I would simply go down the scale on the on the objective tests of academic skills. So if the top schools are all Asian and Jews, so be it. I do not buy the idea that, oh, Asians are somehow boring. As far as I know, many that I know are not only math whizzes, they're also whizzes at the violin and the piano. Um, but, you know, as far as uh, taking a lot of foreign students... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't understand where this thing came from about Asians being boring. I, what does that mean? Oh, really? Oh, that's, that's, what, that's what Harvard says. That's why that's Harvard's excuse for for the fact that it it uh, has much much fewer Asians than would be predicted by their by their academic qualifications. It oh, says, it's well, a they, they... I see. It's a rationalization for their uh, proportional representation, or at least the uh, the assemblage of a student body that represents what they want. But you can talk to admissions officers who will say that, oh, these Asians, they're all, they're all cookie cutter, they all look alike, and they don't have the social skills. You may not have heard this, but this is, this is something I'm That's sad to I say, and believe me, I am not, I am not adopting this. I'm, I'm pushing back against it, Lou, but, but it is definitely uh, uh, a, a, a viewpoint that is expressed in academic circles. What could be more? Uh, what could be more uh, fair uh, and more uh, obliging of American standards than to say point blank, the highest scores 
the highest levels of talent will be admitted uh, to fight it out. Uh, and we will provide universities and colleges, just as we have, for all of you uh, in whatever the, you know, the quadrants would be in the SAT score, uh, your, your grade scores, and, you know, your class ranking, whatever that may be, or, or your extracurricular skills. Uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure I think that extracurricular skills should matter much uh, in, in making that decision, but that, you know, I'm not an expert in education or sociology. But I, I would agree with you. Why not have meritocracies? Lou, can we, you and I, form a college? Because you're the only person I've ever met that I agrees with me 100%, and I agree with you 100% on this. You are absolutely in the minority. However, you are absolutely correct. The nauseating self-importance of these academic admissions officers who think that they're crafting this utopian community of a little bit of, you know, math skill and then a little bit of, of Arkansas hayseed here and, and some musical skill there and then some cooking interest there. They see themselves as playing this somehow divine role that is so pretentious. I completely agree. You go down the SAT score, it would all it would do, the same number of people would be going to college, there would be a place for everybody in a college, but it would be immaculately fair and it would reward the thing that should matter most, which is dedication to learning and knowledge and and being able to master how language works to think quantitatively and and the idea that that would somehow lend itself to boringness at the top which again you may not have heard that but that's one of the arguments against a purely objective admission system is that oh these classes would just be so much say would just be boring and and they'd just be a bunch of wonks wrong uh that is we we created the sats we created colorblind objective standardized testing in order to get away from prejudice and narrowness and the idea that only the WASP elite should be attending the Ivy League schools. And we said, no, we want to blow this system up and open it up to talent in whatever shape, color, and size it comes. And now we've turned around and say that the SATs are the problem and that they are racist simply because not all groups score equally well on them. But let us return to pure meritocracy, take the subjective human factor out, and for God's sakes, take the race and sex preferences out because those help nobody and they only serve to widen divisions and, and uh, remove people from the understanding that the best way forward is their own individual effort. And... and and that sounds like America to me. It really does. Uh, the And to look at this business, uh, what's happening in business with ESG, all of the concerns about environment and social programs and, and governance, uh, this is, uh, we, have a, we have a horrible, huge, monumental uh, 
condition right now that is going to be fatal to American business, I'm afraid, because they have forgotten that they wanted to be competitive. Let's see, they've gotten rid of, over the course of time, they got rid of pensions because that made corporate America uh, uncompetitive. Uh, they've gotten rid of health care uh, in, in most cases. Uh, that was uh, you know, absolutely the best in the world uh, for for their employees. They've adopted new systems because it was not competitive. They want to get rid of Social Security. They want to get rid of Medicare, whatever you want to talk about. In point of fact, corporate America right now is aligned with the Marxist left, and we are headed toward a suffocating uh, destination uh, if, if we permit it. And I don't know what the countervailing influence is now uh, to massive corporate power in our political system as well as our economy when the unions, which were once, which were once a uh, countervailing uh, influence, uh, are no more, really. Your thoughts? It's a, just a decadence. We are a very decadent society. Uh, capitalism has been so powerful. The free market has been so powerful. We have created prosperity that would have been unthinkable a hundred years ago. We became so prosperous in the 1950s that for the first time in human history, adolescents, teenagers had their own spending power granted on them by their parents who had enough money sloshing around to give their kids their own credit cards or bank accounts, that was a fatal uh, turn for the worse because then you had the rise of youth culture and, and one of the important ways in which teenagers and adolescents declared themselves free of parental authority because now you have corporations catering to these idiots, these absolute idiots, whether through music or or clothing or art, um, and nobody a hundred years ago would have imagined that a fourteen-year-old, a twelve-year-old, a fifteen-year-old would go out there and be spending, have his own purchasing power. So it is now decadent for corporations to say that that. Price signals should no longer be determinative, that we should be playing around with shareholder money to engage in uh, political crusades that are tendentious, but at, at the very least are not universally held. And that it, it, that is for people outside of the marketplace to engage in. If you want to be a, a family corporation, and and decide to give up your market competitiveness by narrowing the types of supply chains you're going to use okay that's fine but if it's a a publicly traded owned an owned company really your your obligation is to be the very best you can in the market to to bring goods to market to master the complexities challenges risks of supply chains of trying to predict demand these are noble enterprises nobody in business should ever have to apologize for the pursuit of success and it's not just profit but the the pursuit of being the best you can in your field that that activity of free trade 
of people exchanging their goods and services through the signaling of prices has lifted the world out of poverty in ways that nobody ever would have thought possible. And I'm pleased to tell you that Gallup is giving us a poll on uh, Central and uh, South America. 242 million people want to come to, uh, want to migrate. Uh, most of them, uh, I presume, to the United States. Uh, we brought in uh, four to six million people in the first two years of the Biden administration. No one knows where they are, what they do, how they're being provided for, uh, their circumstances uh, or, or location. Uh, we are looking at uh, a, quite an experiment here now uh, as we watch governance of this country uh, absolutely dissolve. Your reaction? Listen, as I said in the beginning, it is not hate speech to say that every country has borders and that the people who should be deciding about demographic inflows are the people living in that country, its citizens, not those living outside. Right now, our immigration policy is not decided by Americans. It's decided by non-Americans in their unimpeded efforts to get into the country. Uh, we could be facing the end of America because culture matters. If we take the entire third world into this country with people that have not been schooled in constitutional traditions, in, in respect for, I hate to say it, the rule of law and free speech when we're losing it so fast here, uh, but, but the bourgeois values of personal responsibility, uh, you know, it's, it's bad enough right now with the, the elites tearing down our historical values but it can get a lot worse. And we will torpedo the historical country of the character of this country forevermore if we do not get control over our borders and have complete bright line rules. We are not obligated to take in everybody across the globe who wants to come here. The, the countries that are sending us uh, their their unwanted population they do not take everybody in it is a, a an absolute un uncontroversial uh proposition in most of the world that nations mean something and that there is sovereignty and there's popular sovereignty and our 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 white guilt is so massive in this country that we believe that it is somehow illegitimate and racist to say we are going to police our borders and we're going to choose our immigrants, if at all, on the basis of the traits that they can bring, on the skills they can bring, and if they're not bringing skills that we need or if their cultures are incompatible with our own, we do not have to admit them. Absolutely not. Just as Joe Biden has made it clear, he's resurrecting the North America Union concept. Uh, and that now is uh, the effort of uh, Manuel Lopez Obrador, the head of uh, the president of Mexico and, and good old Prime Minister Trudeau, the, the boy genius of Canada. 
uh, along with, of course, uh, the puppet president, Joe Biden. Uh, you can imagine what a witch's brew that uh, North American Union would make with those three uh, uh, <laughs> with the uh, with the spoons to stir. Uh, I, I want to just conclude here, if I may, and uh, and I, it's really more of an interruption. I hope you'll look at it that way because I'd love for you to come back soon to continue this discussion. But we're also looking at the uh, foreign influence when it comes to our own constitutional values, and that is the, the vice president of the European Union uh, saying at uh, Davos, of course, uh, that the days of the Wild West of free speech are over and made it clear that there will be penalties uh, even in the United States uh, for hate speech, for uh, limits to our idea of hate speech, about as un-American as you can get it. Your, your thoughts? Well, I think Americans are utterly ignorant about how precious and unique the First Amendment is. It is the case that in European countries, uh, they are much more open to censoring ideas. Germany, uh, you can understand it without necessarily justifying it. They have been so bludgeoned into, you know, ongoing, continual, un unremitting and, and, and unpurgeable guilt about uh, World War II and Hitler and, and his crusades and the Holocaust that they don't feel any qualms about banning speech that they find connected all but their definitions now of of hate speech or pro nazi speech are as you would expect because every government every every leader in human history wants more power and he wants to silence his enemies and so germany has been using its hate speech censorship laws to try to put out of business uh, one of the one what was the most important opposition parties, the Alternative for Deutschland, the A AFD, AfD, um, and and so Europe is saying to us, you're going to become like us, and they're right. That is what is happening. We are losing that bright line between what used to be America's defining characteristic, which is the understanding that J.S. Mill expressed so eloquently, which is the understanding of the marketplace of ideas. If there's an idea that you find repugnant and wrong, the solution is not to suppress and censor that idea. It is to battle it out, duke it out in the marketplace of ideas and and see who's right, see who can make the best case for the rightness of his position. If you censor ideas, uh, you're likely to keep them going underground, um, and you're showing that you have no faith in your own ideas. You're, you're using illegitimate power uh, to avoid engaging in debate. And until maybe... 10, 15, 20 years ago, that debate was the American way. It was commonly understood among liberals and leftists. I mean, for God's sakes, the, it, it used to be that it was more the, the liberals and the left who were defending freedom of speech, and there were conservative and Republican efforts to shut it down in the past. And now it's completely reversed, and, and we have 
groups like the ACLU in, in various chapters adopting this pernicious and completely unhistorical and unconstitutional idea of hate speech as something that is an exception to the First Amendment protection of all speech. There is no constitutional exception for hate speech. Hate speech is a totally malleable, totally politicized concept. The left uses it now to cover everything that violates its orthodoxies. And we just have to say to the EU and Davos and and, and Schwab, sorry, uh, you can do your thing, but we believe that the best uh, solution and weapon against illegitimate power is freedom of speech. Frederick Douglass understood that. He said the auction block and slave chains could not survive five years of freedom of speech if we could actually publish the truth about slavery in this country. And he was right. Absolutely right. And uh, as is Heather McDonald, nearly always. Heather, we thank you very much for being with us, and uh, we always give uh, our guests the last word. Uh, I know that you've got a new book coming out, and if I might uh, might ask, uh, perhaps use this moment also to tell us about this uh, new book that you have coming out. Well, thank you so much, Lou. I appreciate it. It's called When Race Trumps Merit. It's available for pre-order on Amazon on February 6th. Uh, and it'll be in bookstores in April. And it, it touches on many of the themes we talked about today, Lou, which is the fact that we are tearing down our meritocracy in the name of diversity, in the name of equity. We are failing to, to defend uh, high civilizational standards, high behavioral standards. You can see it happening in the criminal law, the reason that we're not prosecuting, the reason that police are not arresting, the reason that we're not incarcerating uh, is because of this dangerous idea of disparate impact. And we need to get back to colorblind standards and say we're going to expect people to live up to academic achievement. We're going to expect them to live up to uh, uh, high following the law, obeying the law. We're not going to have two sets of laws based on color. And and so it's a call for America to return to what were its founding principles, principles that granted we violated for far too long and with far too much cruelty. But now we are within spitting distance of reaching and, and we should all put aside this phony concept of diversity and simply support uh, and 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 strive for merit and excellence and achievement. Thank you very much, Heather. Great to have you here. Uh, wonderful discussion. Come back soon, would you? I would love to. Thank you so much, Lou. Bye-bye. Heather McDonald, great American. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today, and please join us here tomorrow. Congressman Troy Nels is our guest. God bless you, and God bless America. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.